You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Welcome to everyone. We are continuing in our series on discovering our identity and calling. Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. Luke chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible, uh, we'll be sure and put the words on the screen for you. Um, <clears throat> but I think church is just more interesting whenever you've, you've got a Bible there in front of you. So uh, Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read in verse 38, or actually verse 39 and verse 40. I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive into it. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 39. He, speaking of Jesus, also told them of a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, whenever he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, come to you. Many of us come in from many different places. We're all over the map. Uh, We've got a lot going on in our minds, our hearts, our souls. Um, And so I just ask that right now in this time that you will do what only you can do. Uh, On a day like this where it's rainy, where we've lost an hour of sleep, um, do what you do in the fact that you often surprise us. And even these moments where maybe our expectations are the lowest and you do something that's just incredible, that, that you, you take your word, which is alive and active, and you drive it into our hearts. And I pray that today, as a result of this, that you will transform all of us more into the likeness of your Son for our good, for the good of the world around us, and ultimately for your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you in here have heard Sam Smith's new album, The Thrill of It All? Raise your hands. Okay, like three of you. That's kind of what I expected. So I'm going to change that for you uh, right now with about a 30-second clip from a song. So Ryan, can you hit that for me? All right, go ahead and put the lyrics on the screen too, okay? So this is a new song from uh, Sam Smith. It's entitled Pray. I'm personally not a big R&B fan. I don't know if you are either, but I want you to hear these lyrics. These are being sung by a guy who grew up gay, right, or grew up in the church, claims to be gay, and now he's wrestling with us. Look at this. Not good theology, but pretty smooth music, right? Kind of a cliche. I'm not a saint. I'm more of a sinner. I don't want to lose, but I fear for the winners. All right, so we're just going to leave it right there, right? At some point, we actually have to, to get to the Bible. Um, here's why I want to put these lyrics on the screen, and I want you to hear this, okay? I think that these lyrics that were just sung by Sam Smith do a great job of capturing a cultural moment we all live in. In that, on the one hand, I think we all today want God, or at least a version of God. But then on the other hand, we kind of want to do our own thing, don't we? I mean, if you look at these lyrics again on the screen, Sam Smith says in here, you won't find me in church, like, no, right, reading the Bible. But he says, I'm still here, and I'm still your disciple. I think that's a pretty gross misreading of what a disciple of Jesus actually is. Um, We've talked about this before, but the word for disciple in the scriptures, which only appears a few times. It's the Greek word matheteus. That's what the New Testament's written in. It's written in Greek. And that word matheteus can be translated as disciple, 
But a bunch of people who are a lot smarter than me say that a better translation for this word is the word apprentice. Because discipleship in the first century really was a whole life apprenticeship under a rabbi where your goal was three things, to be with the rabbi, to become like the rabbi so that you could do what the rabbi did. And so it's in light of that, the great rabbi, Jesus Christ, if you look again in Luke chapter 6, verse 39, he's telling this parable. And he starts out and he says, can a blind man lead a blind man? What's the answer to that question? Right? No, right? Will they, will they not both fall into a pit? Verse 40, for look at this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, whenever he is fully trained, and hang on to that word trained, we'll come back to it, will be like his teacher. Notice that for Jesus, the end goal of discipleship or apprenticeship to him is about becoming like him. So the question, if you're a disciple of Christ, you should be asking this morning is how? How do we actually do that? How do we become like Jesus? How do we become the men? How do we become the women that God created us to be? How do we look more like Jesus and live like Jesus in this world today? And the answer to that question is what we call spiritual formation. And if you missed last week, we spent a lot of time talking about this. But the way we define spiritual formation was this. Spiritual formation is the process by which we are formed to become like Jesus and in doing so, our real true self. We made the point last week that spiritual formation is not just a Christian thing. It's a human thing because whether you want to be or not, the reality is we are all being formed every single minute of every single day. So the question then is not, am I being formed? The question is, who or what am I being formed into? Or another way to ask it, the question is not, am I a disciple, but who or what am I a disciple of? Am I a disciple of Jesus, or am I a disciple of Netflix, or Instagram, or, or right, you just fill in the blank? And last week, what we did is we looked at this paradigm. I'm going to put it back on the screen for you. It's called the unintentional spiritual formation paradigm. And it's a mouthful. If you've got a better title for it, you can email me or text me this week and let me know what you would call it. But to kind of recap, what we said last week is we are all narrative creatures. And therefore, because of that, we have to take social media and experiences in our life and relationships and all that and try to make sense of it all by forming a story in our mind. And we kind of live out the narrative of that script. So what we said last week is we're all formed by the stories we believe. We also said that we're formed by our habits. The things we do do something to us and we're formed by our relationships and in a specific environment that we live in right here in Northeast Arkansas or wherever you may live. And the reason reason we call this the unintentional spiritual formation paradigm is, listen, all you have to do is wake up and you're going to be formed. Like this is going to happen to you. What you have to realize today, guys, is the world is relentlessly trying to form you more into its image. So you don't have to take notes. You don't have to schedule this. You don't have to be intentional about it. If you just wake up tomorrow morning and do whatever you do with zero intentionality, the world is going to form you more into its image, okay? So that's what we talked about last week. And the question that we left you with last week is in light of this, who or what are you becoming? If you looked at yourself five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, are you becoming more like Christ or are you becoming more like the world? And with that question on our minds, we move forward today. What I want you to see is this. Listen, if you want to become more like Jesus than like the world, if you want to experience a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, you want your life to be marked by the power of God like Jesus' life was, you want to have an impact on the life of other people around you, 
If you want to truly become more like Jesus than like the world, what you need to realize is, guys, listen, when you start following Jesus, you don't really start following him with a blank slate. You don't start following him, what I mean by that is with the wind to your back, just pushing you forward effortlessly to become like Christ. But you actually start, because we live in a broken, fallen world, with the wind in your face pushing you back, trying to keep you from becoming like the man or woman you were created to be in Christ. And therefore, because of that, we have to be people who are intentional about our spiritual formation. We have to be more intentional about being formed into the likeness of Christ than we are being formed unintentionally into the world. I think about a story um, about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I know some of you have heard of him, but right before World War II, um, the Nazi empire was at its height, and the church in Germany was super corrupt. And so um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer chose 150 theology students, and he went out in the wilderness with them and began to teach them the ways of Jesus. And eventually, Bonhoeffer's brother came out to Dietrich and said, um, which, by the way, his brother was not a Christian, and he came out to him, and he's like, dude, this has to stop. Like, this is weird, what you're doing here. It's not normal. So what you need to do is you need to quit training these theology students, and you need to go back to the city. You need to become the professor you were aiming to be. You need to find a girl, put a ring on it, right? Get married, have kids, like, just live a normal life. And so Bonhoeffer hears his brother out, but eventually, as the story goes, and he talks about this in his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says they get into a rowboat, and they go out on this lake, and they go across this lake, which is kind of by where they were doing their training. And what they come across is this, this training camp for Hitler youth. And so Bonhoeffer climbs up on this hill, and he says to his brother, he says, look out there at this Nazi camp, and now look at what I'm doing over here. And what he said is, this that I'm doing over here has got to be stronger than that that's being done over there. Likewise, guys, listen, the same can be said when it comes to our spiritual formation. What we are doing here has got to be stronger than what the world is doing out there. What we are doing in our discipleship to Jesus has got to be stronger than the stories that we're believing that we're being fed from the world and the habits and the relationships and environment that we live in. So with no further ado, let's put the new paradigm on the screen. If we can do that, Ryan, this is what we call the intentional spiritual formation paradigm. And I wish I could put this paradigm up by the other one, like side by side, but the screen's just not big enough. It wouldn't work. You wouldn't be able to see it. But what I want you to see this week is everything that you see on the screen has to counter what we saw just now in the unintentional paradigm. It has to offset that. So with that being said, let's dive in. To counter the stories that we believe, we must counter it with good gospel-centered teaching. If you were to look at the life of Christ, what you would discover is Jesus himself was a rabbi. Because he was a rabbi, he spent the majority of his time teaching. And when Jesus taught, he didn't just say, this is fact and this is fiction. This is right, this is wrong. But when Jesus taught, he gave us a whole alternative story. He gave us an alternative story to how to be human, an alternative story to handle how to handle sex and relationships and finances and conflict management and just life in general. In hopes that whenever he would teach us that the teaching, listen guys, would get into our hearts and shape us in such a way that we would go from believing lies from the world to believing the truth and reality about God. I think about Paul's words in Romans 12 where Paul says literally, that he says that we are not to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. There's that word transformed that we looked at last week. In the Greek, that's the word metamorpho, which is where we get our English word from, metamorphosis. And it's the word that scientists use to describe how a caterpillar changes over into a butterfly. And what the scripture teaches, not just here, but all over, is listen, guys. 
if you want to experience the kind of radical change that we would see a caterpillar go into a butterfly, if you want to experience that same kind of change, spiritually speaking, you have to have your mind renewed through good teaching. You have to immerse yourself in the scriptures, whether it's through settings like this where you show up and you hear teaching or listening to a podcast or diving into a Bible study or a discussion with your missional community. If we want to be changed, we have to have our minds renewed by filling our minds with the truth about who God is, what he's done for us in Christ, and how that now changes who we are and how we're called to live. This is a key piece when it comes to our transformation. But what we have to understand is though this is a good place to start, it's not a good ending point because anyone who's been following Jesus for any stretch of time knows this to be true. You cannot just think your way into Christ-likeness, right? I mean, you can't just memorize like, do not lust and be like, oh, I'm good, right? Do not worry, got that one, memorize, right? Like, life doesn't work that way, and that's because information alone does not equal transformation, if you've seen the movies, uh, The Matrix, uh, you know, like, there's this famous scene where, like, Neo has to go fight the bad guys, and he doesn't, like, have a clue how to even throw a punch, and they put a, com- a computer chip in the back of his head, they download all this information, and he's like, I know kung fu, and, like, he goes up there and just, like, beats up a bunch of bad guys, or, like, he's able to fly an Apache helicopter just because they download the information on, here's how to fly a helicopter. As much as we wish life worked that way, it just doesn't. You can't be like, I want to lose weight. Where's a YouTube video on how to lose weight? Click, okay, now I'm going to lose weight. Life doesn't work that way, and here's why, and we have to get this. It's one thing to know something in your head. It's a whole other thing to want to do something in your heart. And oftentimes, what we all know is true is what we want in our heart overrides what we know to be true in our head. And that is why we move on to the next thing, which we don't only, if we're going to become more like Christ, not only do we need to counter the stories we believe is teaching, but we need to redirect our hearts in the right way by countering habits with practice. And here's what I mean by this. If you think about the Sermon on the Mount, it's where you have a collection of Jesus' teachings. And throughout church history, you can find it in Matthew 5 and further, throughout church history, people have literally said that the Sermon on the Mount is a utopian dream. Like It cannot be done. And so, you know, they read lines, for example, where Jesus says, don't worry about anything. And you're like, that's impossible, right? Or, you know, where he says things like, if you've even had lust in your heart, then you're guilty of adultery. And people throughout church history says, man, he's raising the bar way too high. There's no way anybody can do that. And what people often miss is Jesus himself knows that this is not a natural life for us. Jesus knows that we're all going to be tempted to lust and to hold a grudge and to look down on others and to worry over stupid things and to spend money we don't have to impress people who aren't going to matter in the end. He knows all of that. And that is why what we often miss is that Jesus himself begins and ends his whole teaching in the Sermon on the Mount with talking about practice. Um, for example, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Can I put that on the screen, Ryan? Do we have that? Matthew five nineteen. This is a line that Jesus drops on us before his first command in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. Therefore, if anyone or anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But look at this. Whoever, what's the next word? Practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then the very last line, right before he goes into the story about a home building project, in Matthew 7, 24, look what he says here. Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, what's the word? 
practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then Jesus goes on and he says some really nice things about those who practice and some not so great things about those who choose not to practice. And here's the whole point. Jesus begins and ends his whole teaching on a new way of how to be a new human. And he talks about this idea of practice. Jesus understands that we can't just read the line, do not worry, and be like, cool, got it. And so he says, look, you want to be a person who doesn't worry? Then you need to put into practice the things that I'm teaching. And by practice, this is huge, guys, and you've got to get this. When I talk about practice, we're not talking today about trying harder, but we are talking about training harder. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, you read it earlier, Jesus says, if you look again in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So in order to become the kind of person who doesn't worry or to become more like Christ, it's not about trying harder, but it is about training harder. And here's the difference. I think I can explain this in a hypothetical scenario. Imagine you're in the room today, and maybe you're a little overweight, maybe you're a little bit out of shape. And imagine all of a sudden you're inspired, I don't know, maybe you heard some teaching from Adam and you're inspired and you're like, man, I believe all of life is for the glory of God and so I want my body to be, you know, something that reflects God's glory. And so you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to run a marathon. I'm going to try to run 26.2 miles. How's that going to work for you if you've never run before? Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to get to about mile three and then you're going to die. That's what's going to happen. Or if you have someone like Kenny Ford, like drill sergeant, yelling at you, giving you a pep talk, you might make it to mile four. Then you're going to die. Okay? And you're going to come, here's what's going to happen. You're going to come to the conclusion, I can't run a marathon. And you know what the truth is? It's not that you can't. It's just that you can't yet. And so tomorrow morning, rather than waking up and saying, I'm going to try to run 26.2 miles. What if you woke up and said, I'm going to train to run 26.2 miles. We know it's going to happen. You're not going to start at 26.2 miles. You're going to start with maybe a mile. And the next week, you're going to go maybe to two miles, and then three, and then four, and then five. And over time, you're going to become the kind of person who can run a marathon, right? And listen, if you run a marathon, is it going to be easy? No, it's still going to be hard, but at least now, it's going to be possible. The reason this is so important, guys, is listen, this is how change works. I'm I'm going to be quiet for a second. And I want you to to hear what I just said. This is how change works. This is how your discipleship to Jesus works. Some of you, you desperately need to hear what I'm saying right now because you read stuff in the scripture that says things like, do not be anxious. And you tried that for 15 minutes and then you found out it was the flu season or you got a bump on your arm or that they're doing a let go, you know, they're letting workers go at at your place of employment and you freaked out and you're like, I can't do it. I'm just an anxious person. I got them always going to be anxious. And it's not that you can't, it's just that maybe you can't yet. The truth is, guys, all of us can become the kind of people who are no longer controlled by anxiety. We can all become the kind of people who walk into a room and we walk in as a non-anxious presence, which, boy, doesn't the world need that right now. And how do we become like this? By moving from theory to practice. More specifically, by engaging in what church history calls the spiritual disciplines. By looking at the life of Christ and saying, what are the things that Jesus practiced in his life? And then saying, you know what? If Jesus did it, maybe I should do it, so I'm going to start practicing it in my own life. 
And so looking at like Jesus' life and saying, oh, okay, so Jesus himself meditated and memorized scripture, maybe I should start practicing that myself. Oh, Jesus, like, even Jesus took 24 hours a week to Sabbath and rest and not work, maybe I should do that too. Oh, Jesus, he practiced the presence of God by, by listening to his Father and talking to his Father. Okay, maybe I should put the same into practice. Trusting, guys, listen, that when you begin to practice the lifestyle of Jesus, then and only then will you begin to experience the life of Jesus. For some of you in here, again, like, you cannot shake anxiety. And you could fill any sin of the blank here, but let's just keep with the, the, the theme of anxiety. Some of you in here, you are a very anxious soul. You want more than anything to stop worrying. And listen, what if tomorrow morning, instead of waking up again and saying, I'm going to try really hard not to be anxious today. I'm going to try really hard. What if instead of doing that, that when you woke up tomorrow, unlike 89% of Americans who touch their phones first thing in the morning, you just read a psalm and maybe prayed. I'm starting to realize more and more in our culture, and this breaks my heart, if you will wake up tomorrow morning, let me just, do you want to know how to be a radical Christian in our society now, now that we live in a post-Christian society? Just read a few verses tomorrow morning and pray for five minutes, and you're like varsity Christian in our culture. I'm not trying to slam anybody. That's the cultural moment we live in right now. So what if you did that? What if you just said, you know, tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to read a psalm, and I'm going to pray. Or what if, you know, instead of just going through the weeks, I'm going to try really hard. What if you actually took serious your Sabbath? What if you literally took 24 hours where you didn't buy anything, you didn't sell anything, you didn't send any emails, you didn't respond to any text-related, uh, you know, work-related texts? What if you literally just did things that you knew would stir your heart towards God and remind you that you don't have to be in control and that when you step out and don't work, the world's going to keep spinning without you? What do you think would happen if, that, if you did that in your life? My guess is over time, not necessarily overnight or in a week or in a month or even in a year, but over time with training, you would become more and more of a person of peace. So there's trying and there's training. One is hard. One is impossible. Jesus is calling you not to try harder, but to train harder, to practice his ways. Okay, so moving on. Third, I put the paradigm back on the screen for you. To counter our relationships, we need to step into community. And this might seem like the same thing, but here's the difference. Okay, the difference between relationships and community is in relationships, we self-select based off of preference. So this is a high school cafeteria. You walk in, cheerleaders are with cheerleaders, basketball players with basketball players, band with band, whatever else, right? People who listen to emo music are with people with emo music, right? I mean, everybody looks the same in their little group, acts the same. And that kind of carries over into adulthood in a lot of ways. And the fact that we want to hang out with people who dress like us and are in the same stage of life as us and have the same personality and preferences as us, right? But in community, it's different. Because in community, what happens is you have a full range of relationships that are built around Jesus Christ. You have young and old. You have black and white. You have rich and maybe poor. You have introverts and extroverts. You have people in different phases of life, and they're all rallying around Jesus. For us, this happens in the context of missional communities. And here's what community does for you that you can't get anywhere else, okay? Community does two things for us. It gives us exposure, and it gives us encouragement. By exposure, what I mean is community actually exposes where you actually are in your maturity and your growth, for better and for worse. Put another way, community brings out the best in you, and community brings out the worst in you. And that's why it's really hard, and it's really messy, but it's also really beautiful, and it's really amazing. And you know this if you're married, um, 
I don't know if you're like me. I'm guessing you are, like most people I do premarital counseling with. Is you know, you you look and you think you're the exception to the rule, and you're just like, you know, she's amazing. I'm amazing. We're gonna be amazing together. You know, and then you get married, and you're like, oh, what's wrong with me? And what's wrong with you? You know, and, and you'll hear people say things like, man, they're just not the person that I married. Yes, they are. They are too. You know, and it's not that your marriage made them worse or made you worse, but it's that before we got married, we all had no idea how bad we really were. And, and it takes a relationship as close as this to expose that junk. And please hear me, guys. This exposure is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Please hear this as well, because this is another one of these comments I'm going to make, and it's going to go in one ear and out the other for a lot of you, and our church desperately needs to hear this. A lot of times, from my experience, when we encounter conflict and tension in a relationship, when we hurt someone else or they hurt us, the temptation is to bolt. The temptation is to step out of the relationship and to step into some new community where we think, well, here, I bet these people are pretty much all like Jesus and they're pretty much perfect and we're not going to have any conflict or tension. That's, there is no community like that. Like we're all broken people who stand in need of Jesus together. And so all of community is very messy and can be very difficult. And listen, guys, it is in the middle of that conflict. I believe Jesus wants to do his best work in your life. It's in the messiness and the tension that God will often expose the sin in our own hearts like nowhere else so that through our broken, jacked-up communities, he can begin to squeeze some junk out of you that needs to be squeezed out so he can bring healing to your soul. This is what community does. It brings about exposure, but it also brings about encouragement. Because in a community, what happens is you know others, and they know you, and as they're getting to know you, they know the kind of man or the kind of woman you want to become, and they're able to look and say, hey, brother, I see the spirit at work in your life. Like, Matt, you're so much further along than what you used to be. Man, I know you used to, this is what happened, but now this is true of you, right? In community, when you get to know other brothers and sisters, you can say, hey, I'm going to partner with you, sister, and becoming the woman or becoming the man that I know you long to be. This is what community does, exposure and encouragement. And listen, guys, I get it. I know that community is hard, and I know that we live in a society where we all value the ability to go at life alone. Like, I know for those of you who are around in the 80s, like, we all rocked out to White Snakes, you know, Here I Go Again, right? We all belted out the lyrics, those in the 80s, right? Here I go again, on my own, like a drifter, I was born to walk alone, right? Where we're like, yeah, like, that's me, I don't need anyone, right? Or maybe that's just me. Was that just me? Um... (laughs) But, but I, I get the appeal, right, of like, man, I'm just this lone ranger. You know, I just walk into town, I don't need anybody. But here's the thing. I don't care who you are, how tough you think you are, how young, how old, extroverted, you need community. And if you are ever going to make the journey towards discovering your true God-given identity and calling, you cannot do that alone. Jesus could have done this any way he would have wanted, right? But he didn't just call a disciple, he called disciples, to walk together, to work together, to toil together, to partner with him in his mission. And what that means then, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you cannot follow Jesus alone. And I know this goes against the grain of society. I know it's a radical, upside-down idea in American culture. But please hear me, guys. The church is not just this place where you come and go once a week, and then you check out, and we all live however we want to live, completely separated from each other, and we come back, and then we do it all over again. 
To be the church is to practice the ways of Jesus together. And that's the context. The scripture will tell us over and over of how we're transformed. Next, to counter our environment, we want to use, or we want to, to counter our environment is the Holy Spirit. If you'll notice in this paradigm, and this is very important, all of this stuff, teaching, practice, and community, it all orbits around the Holy Spirit because He, not it, He is the power source for our transformation. Without the Holy Spirit, our change is not possible. Our responsibility is teaching and practice and community. God takes care of everything else. And listen, if you don't get this, here's what's going to happen. You're going to err on one side or the other. You're either going to err on the side of thinking transformation is all up to you. And so you're going to practice the spiritual disciplines till you're blue in the face. And you're going to like grind yourself down to the bone. And you're not going to get anywhere. And you're just going to give up and say it's not possible. Or you're going to err on the other side. And I think this is probably most of us in the room today. Where we say, man, I got Jesus. He's going to do his thing on me no matter what I do. So I'm just going to let go and let God. Like, that's destructive. When it comes to our spiritual formation, God has a role to play and you have a role to play. I think of Paul's words in 2 Timothy. Paul says that a disciple is like a hardworking farmer. Get that image in your mind. We all grow up in farmland, so you should be able to imagine this. The disciple is like a hardworking farmer. If you get an image of a farmer, he's not, at least a good farmer, he's not sitting on his couch looking at his, his land going, come on, God, grow those crops. Right, come on, Lord, do it. Right, like He's getting out. And he's tilling the land, and he's planting seeds, and he's pulling weeds, and he's spraying. But he knows at the end of the day, if God doesn't bring the rain, there's not going to be any growth. So it's his work, and it's God's work. Same thing in our spiritual formation. Uh, What's the famous saying from Augustine? He said, um, without God, we can't, but without us, he won't. That's what he's getting at right here. That's what we're getting at. You have a job when it comes to your spiritual formation. Our responsibility is to immerse ourselves in the scriptures, to listen to teaching, to practice the ways of Jesus in community, but we do it all through the power of the Spirit. And then if you keep looking below that line, and just as we talked about last week, this happens over time. Transformation happens over time. We live in a microwave culture where we have everything we need at our fingertips. You have Amazon Prime, you have Netflix, you have the iPhone. We live in an instant gratification culture. And the reason this is so dangerous in our spiritual formation is there are no shortcuts when it comes to our spiritual formation. There is no killer app you can download and be like, if I download this app and I just do these three things, I will become like Jesus. And so let me just encourage you today, if you're here And you're like, man, I'm honestly really discouraged by how slow my growth is. If you're here and you're like, man, I feel like I should be so much further along by now, welcome to the club. It's called the church. Okay, so glad you're here. What we are learning is that sanctification, becoming more like Christ, is not a super highway. It's a crawl. It takes a long time. And listen, guys, this is kind of a play on words because not just does it take time, it takes a lot of your time. And I'm going to try not to get preachy at this point, but I do think this is important for me to say. We waste more time than we think we do. Um, I was reading the Gallup poll this past week, and it says the average American watches five hours of TV a day. The average child from 2 to 11 watches 24 hours of TV per week. And if you're here and you're like, dude, I don't even have a TV, so that ain't about me. Well, listen to this. The average millennial is now spending an average of five hours a day on their phone and swiping their phone for an average of 2,617 times a day. 
um, we waste a lot of time. If some of you, I love the practice last week. I don't know if any of you did it in your missional communities, but we encourage you to look at your, go to your settings and look at your battery and you can see how you spend your time on your iPhone. And I didn't like talk with any of you, so I don't know. I'm not trying to like preach anybody specifically, but some of you, if you did that, what you discovered is you spend probably like 15 to 20 minutes a day on things like Candy Crush, which I hear is a thing, right? Or a games like that. Do you realize you can literally read through the Sermon on the Mount in 15 minutes? Like some of you in here this past week, you realize that you spend hours uh, watching a season of, um, I don't want to say Stranger Things because I love it. I don't want to hit on it. But what's, a, <laughs> what's, a, what's another show on Netflix right now? What? Oh, come, like nobody watches Netflix in here. What's another show on Netflix? What is it? Noah's Ark? Oh, Ozark. Okay, it's like, man, you're so spiritual. It's like, what are you answering, church? <laughs> Jesus. It's a great show on Jesus. Um, Ozark. Okay, so like in one season of Ozark, do you realize literally you could have spent probably four, five, six nights hanging out with someone in your missional community, developing deeper relationships with them? You know, some of you, I mean, you spend 10 minutes a day just dinking around on social media. Do you realize literally in 10 minutes a day you could read through the Bible in a year? And I'm not trying to come down hard on anybody. I'm just saying the biggest excuse I hear from people on why they can't uh, practice the things that we're asking you to practice is I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy, man. I got a demanding job. I've got kids. I got all these different things, and I get all that. But, but I, I would just say this: like, do you at least can you at least find time to go to bed ten minutes earlier so you can wake up ten minutes earlier, so you can just spend some time praying. Or if you're not in community, right? I mean, I just can't get involved in the missional community. My job won't allow it. Well, let me ask you this. You've got to eat 21 meals a week anyway, right? I mean, pretty much do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What if you just picked one dinner out of the week and you just ate it with your missional community? And then maybe try to carve out an extra 30 minutes after that to have a discussion around the scriptures. And if you're like, man, I'm just too busy for that, then I would say to you, with love in my heart, you're too busy to follow Jesus. There is a rumor going around our town, guys. There's a rumor going around our city that says something like this. It's possible to have Jesus as your Savior and not as your Lord. It's possible for you to get Jesus in the next life without giving him this life. And I just want to ask you, if you believe that, like where did you get that from? Because it doesn't come from the Scriptures. From some of you in here, guys, you're trying to live like everyone else in the world around you, and then you're trying to cram Jesus into the nooks and crannies of your life. And I'm telling you, that is a plan that is bound to fail. Jesus is not asking you, I want to say this very clearly, Jesus is not asking you to add him onto your life. He's asking you to reorient all of your life around him. And if you're here today and you don't want to do that, this is a safe place for you. If you're here and you're like, I don't know if I want to give my life to Jesus. Man, I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you keep coming. This is a safe place to work through those, those issues and those doubts. But listen, guys, when you go through the waters of baptism and you come out on the other side, at some point you need to realize the invitation from Jesus is not just to come here and get a little therapy on Sunday morning where you leave and feel better about yourself, but literally in places like Matthew 16 and Luke 9, Jesus calls you to pick up your cross and follow him. He says, if you want to find life with him in eternity, you have to lose your life here on earth. You have to be willing to say, I'm going to die to my dreams and my ambitions and my wants and my desires. Here's my finances. Here's my money. Here's my time. 
Now you tell me exactly what I need to do with that. And I'm going to trust that when I do, though it will be hard, it'll be the best thing that I could possibly do. I think about, again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who says it does cost to follow Jesus, but it costs far more not to follow Jesus. Um, it cost you something to get up this morning, didn't it? I mean, wrestle with the kids after losing an hour of sleep in the rain, right? Rather than sitting on the couch and watching Netflix, that costs you something. Because I'm telling you, it costs you far more not to do this. Over time, it costs you far more. It costs you to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to commit to a missional community. I'm going to get plugged in. And I'm even going to take some food on a Sunday night and contribute to the meal. That costs you, but it costs you far more, I would say, to not live in community. And I could go on and on and on, but just my point is under this is all this stuff takes time and it takes a lot of your time. It just does. And then finally, it happens through the hard knocks of life. We cannot become more like Jesus apart from suffering. Just can't do it. You can't do it. And you need to hear this because there's a teaching out there that says if you follow Jesus, all your wildest dreams will come true here on earth. You'll get health, wealth, and prosperity, and nothing bad will happen. I don't know where that comes from in Scripture personally. You just need to know this. Whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not, this life is not easy. There's death. There's suffering. There's pain. There's heartache. And here's what I want you to hear. Often, Western culture is really one of the only places, by the way, that teaches all that stuff is only bad and there's nothing good that can come from it. Every other society sees the value of suffering and how it can, conform us, it can, can tr- uh, transform our lives. What you need to understand is this. The suffering and the pain and the brokenness that we try to avoid are really the things more than anything else that have the potential to catalyze our growth and maturity. We live, and we're almost done, but hear this. We live in a nation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like we're built on that, Right? And yet, I don't know if you've looked at the studies, but sociologists argue that with each passing year in America, happiness goes down, not up. Like we're heading in the wrong direction. And what's incredible to me is we're living longer than ever. We have more stuff than ever. We have more money than ever. We have more options than ever. And yet Americans are on more antidepressants than ever before. Why is that? Because happiness has a name. And his name is Jesus Christ. You cannot find satisfaction and salvation, guys, I'm telling you, apart from Christ. Build up your empire. Get that big promotion. Get it all. And I was just talking to my brother Steve before the service, and we were talking about how you're going to look back at the end of it and say, it didn't satisfy. It did not give me what I worked so hard to get. Only Jesus Christ can give us that thing. And so what I want to encourage you to do is, even in the hardship, rather than running away from Jesus and shaking your fist at him, run to Jesus Anchor your soul to him. Walk with him through the storm. Walk with him through the fire. And when you do, you will discover that you will not be wrecked, but that you will be refined. That he'll use suffering more than anything else. I'm not saying we should all go like looking for it. But he really will. I think honestly, and this is a side note, I I honestly think the, the quickest way to transform is through suffering. Like that's probably the only way we can shortcut the process. And most of us are trying to avoid it at all costs. But God will use it. So, okay, um, to recap, I know we're pressed for time. To recap, if we're going to be more intentionally, spiritually transformed to the image of Jesus, we need to replace the stories we believe with teaching. We need to replace habits with practice. Relationships need to counter, or community needs to counter relationships, and we need to do it all through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want to do in light of that. Here's the practice for this week, guys. And please, please pay attention. Please seek to apply this to your life, okay? 
We really do believe that to follow Jesus is to practice his ways. So here's the practice for this week. Last week, we did what we call a habit audit, which we encouraged you to just take time. If you could write down a sheet of paper or put it in your phone or just think through it in your head, look through your week and honestly assess what are some things that I'm doing that I know are doing something to me and it's not good. Like it's forming me more into the image of the world, more than the image of Jesus. And we encourage you to think about that. And this week, what we want you to do is pick a practice, a spiritual discipline from Scripture, and swap it out with that thing that's forming you more into the image of the world. And if you've been following Jesus for a while and you want to go to the next level, okay, if you're ready for that, I know some of us maybe we aren't, but if you are, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Swap out something negative with a downstream practice and an upstream practice. And here's what I mean by that, okay? A downstream spiritual discipline is something that energizes you. Okay, I'm energized personally, me, Okay, the way I'm wired, I'm energized by Bible study, okay, by a Bible study plan. I like it because I can see I knocked it out, knocked it out, I mean, it's just the kind of way I'm wired. Okay, I want you to find a downstream practice, something that, a spiritual discipline that will energize you, and then I also want you to find an upstream practice, and an upstream practice will not energize you. An upstream practice is hard, it's difficult, it's possibly even a little bit scary. For me, it's confession. Because I want to appear competent and powerful and put together and probably holier than I am. I don't often want to confess. I really kind of avoid that. So I need to embrace that. And here's the reason why we need to do both. A downstream practice, again, will energize you. An upstream practice will hit you where you're weak. And you know why you need to be hit where you're weak? So you won't be lopsided in your spiritual formation. I don't know if you've ever been to the gym, but you've probably seen the guy that like works out his upper body all the time. But because his legs are weak, like he refuses to focus on them. And he literally looks like he's about to fall over. Right? Like, we want to avoid that in our spiritual formation. And we've made this super easy for you, by the way. When we hired Adam, he spent, I don't know, what, five, six, seven months probably. And what we did is we put together these spiritual formation plans that are unique to your personality type. So if you've taken the Enneagram, you can go to our website or on our app, Resources for Growth. You can find spiritual formation plans that are unique to your personality type that have unique downstream and upstream practices that are tailor-fitted for you. And I would encourage you to find a couple of those and put them into your life. So all that being said, and we're done this morning, but all that being said, I know I just said a ton of stuff in a short amount of time. But hopefully what you pick up on, if nothing else, is that transformation is possible. It's possible. It's not natural because Christ's likeness isn't natural. But it is possible. You can grow, you can mature, you can change. And listen, for those of you who are young, teenagers, 20s, wake up for a second. Now's the time to start applying this stuff to your life. Now's the time. Because you know those little quirks in your teens? Those become aspects of your character in your 20s, and they're cemented into your personhood in your 30s. And you can still change them, but you need a jackhammer at that point rather than a chisel. Right? So now's the time, guys, to apply this stuff. Don't wait. That's adult stuff. And if you're here and you're older, right, whatever that means, I'll let you figure out for yourself what that means. But if you're older, here's my encouragement to you. Like, don't settle for the status quo. Don't stop growing. Don't stop learning. Some of you, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, ah, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That is a lie from hell. That's an American concept, not a biblical concept. So if you're here today, I don't care how much water is going under the bridge. It doesn't matter where you are in your discipleship to Jesus. If you feel stuck right now, no, you can change. You can mature. You can grow. You really can, no matter who you are, where you come from, become more like Jesus Christ. So to end, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I want to read over us Acts 13, 38 through 39, if we can put that on the screen. And I want you to hear this uh, as we enter into a time of communion. This is Paul writing here, and he says the following. 
Just settle in for a second. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. So if you're here today and you're carrying some shame and guilt over the fact you're not where you thought you would be, there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You can walk out of here forgiven. Feel forgiven. And if you're here today and you feel stuck and you're like, God, there's just one aspect I just can't get over. I'm still anxious. I'm still lusting. I'm still whatever. Everyone who believes is freed from everything. You don't have to live in bondage. You don't have to walk with a ball and chain. You have everything you need to be freed up to experience the life that God has created you to experience. 